During the past few weeks, Jerusalem has become the headline of the news once again. As was reported the other week, two Israeli security guards were gunned down on the Temple Mount by armed Palestinians. In response, Israel put up metal detectors at the Arab entrance to the Temple Mount. They already exist at the Jewish and non-Muslim entrances. Well, riots ensued throughout Jerusalem. However, even though the Saudi king stated that metal detectors were commonplace at Muslim holy sites in Mecca, the mob would not be quelled. A 19-year-old Palestinian terrorist went on to murder three members of a Jewish family, an act which the terrorist's father stated was in response to the situation on the Temple Mount. Well, the United Nations Security Council met to discuss the situation, and the Israeli ambassador to the United Nations summed it up. Good morning. As diplomats, as ambassadors, as leaders, it is not often that we are at a loss for words. When I learned of the horrific terror attack this past Friday evening, when I saw the ghastly pictures of the Sabbath meal interrupted by a vile terrorist, I was left speechless. The Solomon family had gathered together like millions of Jews for the most joyous occasion, the birth of a new grandson. Instead, their night of celebration ended in massacre. This is a picture of the festive meal in their house. The family had lit the Shabbat candles, blessed the wine, and sat down to eat when the terrorist entered their home. He stabbed his victims to death. He killed Yosef, the 70-year-old grandfather. He slayed Yosef's daughter, Chaya, and he murdered Yosef's son, Elad. He did this all in front of their children and grandchildren. Had it not been for Elad's wife, this horrific attack would have taken the lives of the entire extended Solomon family. Some experts classify these terrorists as lone wolves acting on their own, but we know this is not the case. These terrorists are brainwashed with the same hateful teachings they are all taught that violence and cold-blooded murder is holy. Instead of condemning this act of terror, calming the situation, and pledging to remove all fanatics from their society, the Palestinians are spreading the most horrible lies. They would like the international community to believe that this unspeakable act of violence is Israel's fault. Don't believe the phony Palestinian outrage. The Security Council is meeting to discuss how to de-escalate the conflict. Let me save them some time. It's quite simple. Demand that Mahmoud Abbas and the Palestinian Authority stop promoting violence. Tell them to stop educating to hate. Make them stop paying terrorists. Well, the Palestinian ambassador to the United Nations, Riyad Mansour, took up the podium and laid out his lies. We always welcome the Security Council to shoulder its responsibility with regard to dealing with the 
issues that threaten international peace and security. And definitely what is happening in occupied uh, East Jerusalem is threatening international peace and security uh, as a result of the aggression by Israel, the occupying power, against the Palestinian people, against Jerusalem, and against uh, an extremely important uh, religious site for all for all of us, the Palestinians, and by that I mean Al-Aqsa Mosque and Al-Haram Sharif, after the aggression against that mosque, and closing it for the first time uh, since 1969, and. Uh, putting obstacles in the path of uh, worshippers and uh, in essence trying to create a new reality to the benefit of the Israeli occupying authority. All these things are outraging the Palestinian people, outraging our people in Jerusalem, those whom we salute for standing on the forefront to defend uh, Al-Aqsa Mosque and Al-Haram Sharif, and they are articulating demands which are the demands of all the Palestinian people, the demands of the Palestinian leadership. They should condemn in the strongest possible term the violation of the rights of the Palestinian people when they close down Al-Aqsa Mosque. Al-Aqsa Mosque should not be closed under any pretext and, and under any story uh, when worshippers wants to go and pray there. Well, notably, he never mentioned the murder of the two Israeli guards that caused the metal detectors to be put there in the first place, or the murder of the Salomon family in cold blood. Rather, he saluted them and the rioters. Well, the Israeli ambassador gave the reason for putting the metal detectors in place when he had given his speech. First, we need to remember, on July 14th, terrorists took advantage and smacked weapons to the Temple Mount. They killed two officers on duty on the Temple Mount, which is a holy site for Muslims and Jews. Israel is making sure that there is a real freedom of religion in Jerusalem. And that's what we will continue to do. We will enable everybody to come and pray on the Temple Mount, but at the same time, we will do whatever is necessary to maintain security on this important site. To give an idea of whose take on this is correct, we just need to look at the events following the removal of the metal detectors. What happened? Muslims rioted on the top of the Temple Mount and threw rocks down on the Jewish worshippers at the Kotel, the western wall, below, until they were dispersed by soldiers with tear gas. The real solution, the resolution to this, will be when the kingdom is established, when we are told they shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Well, as Mansur tried to leave the conference, a reporter from 24 News asked him. Could you say a few words in reaction to the attack on the family on Friday night, the Salomon family? Surely you can't condone that kind of violent attack. You see that when you have an occupation with its ruthlessness as we see it, and we see a manifestation of it, of involving violation of international law at the magnitude of war crimes such as settlements, then don't expect all Palestinians to be angels not to react to it. Even some might take 
the issue in their hand as individuals. That is not necessarily the policy of the Palestinian government. We should not uh, uh, lose sight of the huge crime committed against the millions of Palestinians in the occupied territory by the Israeli occupying authority, its military forces, and the settlers, and settlers' terrorism, and the armed settlers, because almost all settlers are carrying weapons, and there are, therefore there are militias. They attack the Palestinian people. They steal their land. They uh, destroy their crops. They're making their life miserable. Now here's an interesting statement. Mansur in his speech at the UN stated his position that Israeli settlements are a war crime. When he said... Resolution 2334, which dealt with many things, including uh, settlements. And we all know that settlements, from the point of view of international law, is described, among other things, as a war crime and crime against humanity. As watchers of the Bible in the news, this is very interesting, as it will be part of the pretext for the invasion of Israel by the international community in the future, an invasion doomed to failure when the nations come, where we read in Ezekiel 38, verses 11 to 12, Thou shalt say, I will go up to the land of unwalled villages. And it goes on to state, To turn thine hand upon the desolate places that are now inhabited, and upon the people that are gathered out of the nations, and have gotten cattle and goods and dwell in the midst of the land. Well, it is the people who dwell in the midst of the land who the Palestinians call settlers. How dare they arm themselves, is the stance of the Palestinians. This is similar to the Philistines in the days of Jonathan and Saul, who removed all munitions out of the land. When we read in 1 Samuel 13, verse 19, Now there was no small stir throughout all the land of Israel, for the Philistines said, Lest the Hebrews make them swords and spears. But all the Israelites went down to the Philistines to sharpen every man his share and his coulter and his axe and his mattock. Yet they had a file for the mattocks and for the coulters and for the forks and for the axes and to sharpen the goads. So it came to pass in the day of battle that there was neither sword nor spear found in the hand of any of the people that were with Saul and Jonathan, but with Saul and Jonathan his son was there found." Well, while we were in the land of Israel for the Promised Land Youth Conference in 2015, we invited Jishai Fleischer, a religious Jew and a settler, now the spokesperson for Hebron, to speak to our group of young people about his vision for the future of Israel as it is related to the Bible. During the session, he invited questions, and one of the young people asked him about the fact that he was armed. Um, I noticed you have a handgun, you know. Really? With oh. you. <laughs> yeah. 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 Is, that, is your job particularly dangerous? I mean, being pro-Israel and news paper, like, I mean, you see other... Yeah, no, it's, it's, not, it's not to do with that. No. It's where I live. Okay, right. Because I'm a settler. <laughs> I live on the Mount of Islands yeah. in a mostly Arab neighborhood called Ras Alamut, and uh, there are uh, there are strong jihadist elements. Yeah. And uh, for the first time in 2,000 years, Jewish people are allowed to carry arms, and so I do. So it's more a preemptive measure than a. It's a defensive measure. It's not yeah, preemptive. Yeah. It's a defense. It's policing. It's sovereignty. Yeah, it's yeah. strength. It's it's pushing back bad guys. It's striking the jihadists. It's not letting Nazism take root again. It's all there. 
Yes, ma'am. Do you not think that that's another thing that can be turned against you in the media? So you did fight back and... So should media. I give the gun to the CNN? I'll trust it with them. I told you again, I told you again, the first, you can't, yes, it could, it could, unless you believed, as I did, that strength is, and clarity is attractive, and it's, and it's leadership, and people can accept that better than wishy-washy. Mm -hmm. uh, and furthermore, if I lay down my arms, it's going to be the next Holocaust. If they lay down their arms, there'll be peace. So, um, the first, we call it, let's use like a Star Trek term, the, the uh, prime directive is to, is to protect the Jewish body. Because without that, I have nothing. So I can't be cons overly concerned about narrative warfare if I don't have a mouth to speak. So I, I might as well protect myself. I'm not, no, Jewish strength is actually something, it, it's, when do we get in trouble? When we're talking all kinds of peace and giveaway and kumbaya and we'll be friends. When we talk like that, that is, that is actually when we get in trouble. It's when we say, this is our land, and you cannot have it. And our capital is Jerusalem. And we say to America, well, guess what? You don't have your embassy in Jerusalem? You can't have your embassy in Israel. Because if you don't respect our capital, you don't respect us. Whoa. Whoa, there goes Israel. It's being tough. That's right. People respect honesty and toughness. They don't respect, uh, you know, milk toast. You know that expression? They kind of... Mushy, you know, respect clarity. And so I think if we use it in a robust fashion, we'd be in good shape too. So after 2,000 years of oppression, during which time the Jewish people have been trodden down, they are now able to carry arms in their own land. So they do. It is a very telling comment that if the Israelis laid down their arms, there would be a holocaust, but if the Palestinians laid down their arms, there would be peace. Is this fair? Well, it is necessary because the Palestinian ambassador, Mansur, concluded his statement by insisting... And if people think that the Palestinian people are going to live that situation without any form of resistance to it, that is not realistic and that is not fair. Thank you very much. So it is not fair to expect the terrorism to stop? It is legitimate resistance, they state, for a jihadist to enter a Jewish home and murder a peaceful family? That is the hysterical position of the Palestinians. The frightening thing is that the United Nations support it. Well, the issue on the Temple Mount is the heart of the situation. When we were in Israel with the Promised Land Youth Conference, we ascended the Temple Mount where we calmly walked around. We were not allowed to bring Bibles with us or give prayers. Even though we respected these rules, we were forced off by hysterical Muslims. During Jordanian control over Jerusalem, Jews were not even allowed to worship at the Western Wall or the Kotel. Yet when Israel captured Jerusalem, it opened the Kotel to worship by the Jews, but also allowed the Muslims to continue control of the Temple Mount. The Jews allow the Muslims to worship on the Temple Mount, but the Muslims will force off both the Jews and the Christians. While we hurried off the Mount, our guide, who was a religious Jew, was escorted by a security detail and was berated by hysterical Muslim women who were bussed in daily and paid to harass Jews on the Mount. Well, this hasn't changed much in the past two years. The Jewish Breaking News reported last week that Rabbi Arai Abramo 
Abramowitz of the Land of Israel Network was forcibly silenced and detained on the Temple Mount in Jerusalem while leading a group in reciting the Kaddish prayer for the Salomon family slain by a terrorist in Halamash over the Friday evening. Although the Temple Mount, it said, is the holiest place for the Jews, the Jordanian Waqif, which oversees the security of the Temple Mount, does not let Jews recite any prayers. Well, the world is completely hypocritical in its treatment of the Temple Mount. Muslims can pray and read their holy books there. Jews and Christians cannot pray or bring their Bibles onto the site. Well, many people wonder why Israel capitulated on control of the Temple Mount and allows the Muslims to have control of it. It is a question that has rocketed to the forefront of the news today. Well, in 2015, after we were thrown off the Temple Mount, we put this same question to Yishai Fleischer during his evening with us. His answer is worth listening to in light of the events this past week. With the Temple Mount, what do you see, like, how do you see practically moving forward with that? I mean, obviously, Mosh and Diane put the right teeth in in sort of charge, but how do you move forward with that? Well, let's ask the first question about why did Israel relinquish sovereignty from the Temple Mount? What's the answer to that? Fear. Fear of what? The world. Fear of the world, you say. That's my guess. Fear of Islam. Fear of America. Fear of what? Fear of America, fear of the Western nations, probably more than Islam. So let me give you a new switch. There was fear, but it wasn't because of Islam or the Western world. The fear was, holy moly, there's a temple coming, and that scares the bejesus out. Okay. Whoa, 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 whoa. I just got eyeball to eyeball with God, and I want to turn around and go the other way. Okay? That, that encounter with God is an incredibly scary moment. Did you just see what I saw? Did, did, you, did we just win this war in six days and like smash all the armies and then we took over the ancestral homeland? We're here in the Temple Mount. What does this mean? It means. It probably means something big. And it, and I, it probably also means that. Uh, pretty soon I'm going to have to keep the Sabbath and eat kosher, and I am not ready for that, and I certainly ain't no ready for no sacrifices, no temple, okay? That is scary. To go eyeball to eyeball with God in Revelation, you know what happens most of the time if you see God's face? You're out, okay? And it is very, very scary. And the Jewish people simply chose to take a step back from too much Revelation. So the Temple Mount is very scary to Jews because it is too darn close to the fires very high there. And you just feel very close to um, the deeper meaning of this world. It's a uh, it's like contact with, with God. And it's all too real. It's all too... And it's like all that good old Israeli Zionism, which was based on nationalism, self-determination, the birth of nations, all these good values, secular values, a certain element of communism, socialism, uh, basically self-determination of the secular kind. Well, that gets all blown away if suddenly like, you're like, well, this did not happen naturally. And it wasn't my jets. And it wasn't that there was something of a revelation here. The Jews immediately went down to a much more, a much less uh, hot, a lot, lot less hotter fire, and that's the Western Wall. I could deal with the Western Wall. The Western Wall is much more, 
manageable. It was more manageable. It's the remnant of the second temple, and we wailed the wedding wall. You know, okay, I can live with that. But like full blast, you know, temple. I wasn't ready for that. So that's what that's why Moshe Dayan and company gave, gave and the temple man away. The minute you understand that, you understand a lot more about what's really going on. The fear of the nations pales in comparison to standing eyeball to eyeball with, with the good Lord. And the Jewish people were just not mentally prepared for that. And so the process that we're going through right now is a process of education. <clears throat> when you went to the Temple Mount, little children go through, excuse me, when you went to the Temple Institute, little children go to the Temple Institute like my kids and learn and accept and grow up with a consciousness that there will be a Temple one. And when it comes, it won't be like, whoa! I uh, 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 I do not speak that language at all. It'll be much more like, ah, this is what we've been waiting for. So the window was open. It was a little too much too fast. Remember what happened to the children of Israel? As they left Egypt and approached the land of Israel, they rejected it. They got afraid of it. It was too much revelation. They had to go to a 40-year march in the desert in order to kill off a whole generation. It will take some more time until the next generation is ready to receive full consciousness of the time. Well, it is so encouraging to witness this awareness amongst the religious Jews who are turning back to God. It is a fulfillment of the passage of Malachi, where we read in chapter 4, verse 4, Remember ye the law of Moses my servant, which I commanded unto him in Horeb for all Israel, with statutes and judgments. Well, the children of Israel are remembering, but it is a process, as Yishai pointed out. We read this in Ezekiel 36 and verses 24 to 28, where it says, I will take you from among the nations and gather you out of all countries, and I will bring you into your own land. Then will I sprinkle clean water upon you, and you shall be free from all your filthiness, from all your idols, and I will cleanse you. A new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit and will I put within you, and I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you an heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you, and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you shall keep my judgments, and do them, and ye shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers, and ye shall be my people, and I will be your God. Well, this is a process that we are witnessing right now, but as with all mankind, Jew and Gentile, the struggle between the flesh and the spirit is a tough one. As Galatians chapter 5 verse 17 in the ESV tells us, For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. But with the right ingredients, namely the word of God, faith can grow, as we read in Romans 10, verse 17. Faith comes from hearing, and hearing from the word of God. So this process will be greatly enhanced when Elijah the prophet is sent to Israel. Both the Jews in the land and the diaspora will receive him. We read in Malachi 4, verses 5 to 6, Behold, I send you Elijah the prophet, before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord, and he will turn the heart of the fathers to the children, and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite with the earth with a curse. What we pray for the day, when God will turn the heart of the children of Israel back to Abraham, Isaac, and Yaakov. We are thrilled to see the embryo of this change today. We look for the day when God will fulfill his promise of establishing his temple in the land of Israel.
We read in Ezekiel 43, verse 7, He said unto me, Son of man, the place of my throne, and the place of the soles of my feet, where I will dwell in the midst of the children of Israel forever, and my holy name shall the house of Israel no more defile. This will be on Mount Zion, in the midst of the people, where it says in chapter 48, verse 10, the sanctuary of the Lord shall be in the midst thereof. May that day be soon. We pray for the peace of Jerusalem and for all those who love the city of the great king. The Bible in the news. This has been Jonathan Bowen joining you.